Father's Day to me and to uh, all of you uh, men here. You're men of influence. I hope you know that. You influence in ways you don't even know. We all do. And so I, I trust you know that responsibility or called higher all the time. Welcome. Please take a moment. Fill out a connection card, if you would, please. If this is your first time with us, we hope you come back and continue on your spiritual journey toward Christ or in Christ, whichever the case is be. We have a lot happening with our Christ and youth uh, young people on their way tomorrow. We'll pray for their safety. We have kids starting with camp. A number of weeks, kids will be away at camp. And we have three of our, in, our young people are doing internships both in Africa and Germany. And uh, we have our own interns here. So a lot happening, people going in different directions, vacations and all. So I trust uh, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we're doing it in the name of the Lord and for his purposes and his will. It is good to be together. And although we are fathers in these roles, we know we're all weak. We're all flawed fathers, but we have one good, good father who is the same yesterday, today, forever. And it's such a joy to worship him today. I trust you are renewed in faith. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for blessing our lives immensely. Thank you for your overwhelming presence and goodness toward us. Uh, to you we cry, Abba, Dada. And we long for intimacy with you. And I pray we will learn that more all the time. Thank you for loving us so deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be in Romans for the next uh, number of weeks this summer. And uh, it'll be a challenge for us. You remember that cheesy song you've heard on the oldie station? To know, know, know you is to love, love, love you. And I do, and I do. Remember that? Really cheesy. But it is true in our life with Christ, to know him better is to love him more deeply. And I trust that you are gaining and growing at a deeper hunger to know God better all the time. And in fact, you're experiencing a richer love toward him all the time. It's so significant that we do that. Study the whole Bible. If you look at the whole Bible, you can boil it down to the book of Romans. The book of Romans is a tough letter that Paul writes to those first century believers in Rome uh, but, but it is heady, and it's challenging, but, but if we don't get Romans, we'll never quite understand everything, that happen, everything else that happens in the flow of biblical history. It's, 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 it's a keystone to our faith, and we need to spend some time here. How many of you had to read the Iliad by Homer? Yeah. Yeah. Uh. And you remember Achilles, he was a you know, great warrior, and Hector was about to go to battle. And Hector came in the room to bid farewell to his family. And this little boy, when he saw his father dressed in war gear, clung on to his nurse and whimpered. And then Hector steps out of the room, he takes off his, his warrior garb, and he comes back in, and he bids farewell in this loving embrace with his child. Sometimes when you study the Bible, God is pictured as a warrior God, as a God of wrath, a God of judgment, a God of condemnation, and rightfully so because he is all of that. But he's also pictured as a God of mercy and grace and redemption and boundless love. The first three chapters of Roman, Romans are really about the former view of God. God is a warrior, a God of judgment and wrath and condemnation. But our text today in 321 begins with a conjunctive phrase, but now. 
And God takes off his warrior garments, and then he is clothed with grace and compassion and kindness. And we need to understand that about him as well. Chapter 3, verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law of the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time as so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith, do we then nullify the law by the faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Do Do you like beef jerky? This is theological beef jerky. You chew and you chew and you chew, and you think, I'll never digest this stuff. I can never get that. It is a tough text. It is, it is it's hard to grasp. It's meaty, but it's so important to us. Let me boil it down in two broad statements. First of all, God's glory is a target that I can never hit. Now, we talk about this word glory. Whenever I've talked about it before, I've reminded us at the very core of the word glory is the root meaning weight. We give God glory. What that means is we put all our weight upon the person that he is. Nothing else in life can bear the weight of my purpose, of my emptiness, can bear the weight of what I need for life, for joy, for exhilaration. Nothing can do this. Success can't do it. Money can't do it. No vice can do it. People can't do it. Only God can bear the weight of of life itself. That's what this glory is all about. Have you ever had anybody in your life you felt you could never please? Your husband, your wife, your mom, your kid, whatever it is. Well, Franklin Carnes, I could never please. He was my speech professor at Cincinnati. And no matter how hard I tried to write my speeches out and give them in, there was more red ink when it came back than there was black ink on the page. Could never, we've all had people in our lives probably like that. They can never... Sometimes people view God that way. Well, can I ever make him happy? Can I ever please him? Well, God, God is easily pleased. But it begins with acknowledging the glory that his very standard is. And God's standard is weighty. It's glorious, not because he's harsh, but because he's holy. He is so different from who we are, holy other from us. It's who he is. And so he doesn't come to us as a harsh God. He comes as a holy God inviting us to have fellowship with him and to enjoy him. You know, this summer, we're in all kinds of activities. My grandkids are in swim meets. They're playing basketball. We've already had t-ball this year. 
and and uh, all of this. You know, what, what do we do afterwards? Well, sometimes we go to Dairy Queen. We did that with our kids. You do that with your kids or grandkids. And when do you go? Only when they win? I don't think so. If you do, you're probably a lousy parent. You know, you do it anytime because you like, you love your kids and you value time with them. You value just the evening to be together. It's a joyful, happy time to be together. God values our being together with him, but not based on our performance, just valuing us as persons. So keep these couple of things in mind. First of all, we will always fall short of God's standard. And when coming to Christ, this is the starting point, Romans 3.23, we know it well, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of his standard. The weightiness of his standard is great, and we've all fallen short way behind. We've failed to meet that standard. One man who worked one of the Billy Graham crusades when he was doing crusades, and Billy was going to preach eight sermons. And he listened intently and measured how Billy addressed sin. And in eight sermons in one crusade, Billy Graham uh, quoted Romans 3.23 56 times. Because coming to Christ all begins with this very fact. Now, there are various words for sin. There are about five different Greek words for sin in the New Testament. And we have one word for sin. They had five. This one is harmartia, meaning to miss the target. And we do it, of course, all the time. We miss the target of the glory and the weight of God. And so, you know, it's like standing on the ocean and, and, at the beach and jumping from the, uh, from the eastern seaboard to Europe. And so some little kid can jump a few inches and some great long jumper can get 25 feet. But it's ridiculous to think that you can jump that far into Europe. We all fall short of the standard. We, we can't do it. And yet in our flesh, what we do, I jump farther than you did. Well, it's ridiculous because you're not my standard. And I'm not your standard. The bottom line is, none of us can make it. Second, we can never brag about our goodness. Verse 27 says, where then is boasting? It is excluded. There's no boasting. Boasting is childish. You know, you take your kids, grandkids swimming in the summer, and invariably, watch me, watch me. And you say, yeah, 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 I got you. And you keep talking. You're not watching. You know, they, 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 it drives you nuts, right, that you have to applaud everything. We, we, we can do the same thing in our relationship with God. God, are you watching? See me? See me? And we think that somehow, by our goodness, somehow we get points with him. Now, should we perform well? Absolutely. If we've been loved to this extent, why would we not want to do well? But not so that he sees us and rewards us by saving us, but because we've been saved, of course. So, see what, we do? see what we Christians are so good at. We just are so good at measuring ourselves by all those nasty people in the world, all those pagan people. You drive into church, all those people, those neighbors aren't going to church. Bad dad on Father's Day. Should have his kids in church. You know, we, re- we listen to the news that way. We read the paper that way. Bad world, bad society. And if that's the only way you see the world, that is not the heart of God. God is grieved by the world. He's grieved by the hurts and the scars and the wounded people he sees. He is moved by their law. That's why he hasn't, Christ hasn't returned yet. Because he's long-suffering with the world. He is not willing that any should perish, that everybody come to repentance. So it's 
It's childish to compare ourselves one with another. Churches, to compare churches one with another. You know, and yet, and yet we so fall into that all the time. You know, my, my dad, when, we, when I was real little, we had one car, and my dad worked days at that time. I was probably five years old, and, and, and mom and I would, would go, the, go take him to work or pick him up. At that time, his hours were like 7 to, 7 to 3.30 or so. And what I loved about that is the whistle blowing. I don't know, factories probably don't blow whistles anymore. But when I was a little, they did. These great whistles. Oh, it was great to hear. I read about a man who, his job was to blow the whistle. How cool a job would that be, to blow the whistle? And so he's, he would sound the whistle. He'd stop at a stop sign. And there was a jewelry store with a grandfather clock. And he'd check his watch, make sure he was on time because he wanted to be right. And he'd go to work, blow the whistle. And his anniversary came, and he went into the jewelry store to buy something for his wife. Got him talking to the jeweler. And he said, boy, I really love that grandfather clock in the window. But how do you keep such good time on the grandfather clock? He said, oh, I just listen to the factory whistle every day. <laughs> and so this, this comparing of one another, that's always going to take us down the wrong path. If, if you use me as your standard or I use you as the standard, what a mess that will be. There is one standard we have because there's only one who is righteous, Jesus Christ. And that's the one in whom, whose name we worship today. We can get so way off that way by comparing ourselves. Let's be, let's be freed from that. It's the, that. The fact of the matter is I'm a sinner. I fall short of God's standard. But praise God, I don't have to live with that mindset all the time that I'm just, I'm just a lost cause. Because here's the second sweeping statement about this text. God's grace is a gift that I can never earn. We're skeptical about such good news. We say, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. There ain't no free lunch. Uh, you, you know, recently, I even fell for that public clearinghouse again. Did you do that recently? I clicked. What a stupid thing to do. Take me down this wrong path. You know, I, I remember when, uh, when Diane and I were, were young, married, you know, got this invitation to a vacation, buying into a vacation. Well, who's laughing? Someone's laughing back there. <laughs> We fell for it because you get a free gift, you know? And so I thought, well, I'm not going to buy them. I'm going to get a free gift. And so it's not going to cost me anything. Well, it cost me good. It was a whole evening wasted and an obnoxious salesperson I had to put up with. There, 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 it, if, if something sounds, there's always something. Somebody hears the message of gospel. It sounds like bait and switch. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what's going to happen once I come to Christ. You know. Now, does he have a high demand? Yes. But it's not seen as a high demand at all next to what he's done for us. When you understand what we've done as rebels against the heart and mind of God. See, Paul later in Romans 12 is going to say, you know, you're to be, live like a living sacrifice. And what does Paul say? That is a reasonable act of service. It's reasonable to be, a, to be a sacrifice before the Lord when you realize more deeply what he's done for us all the time. So here's the win. The win is the redemption from slavery. And there's all kinds of slavery. Verse 24 says, all are justified freely by the grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now this word redemption is a bit of a theological word. But you know, you can have a secular mindset and know the word redemption. Because you'll read a movie critic, for instance, and say, that film really had no redeeming value. You'll read a novel and think it had no redeeming quality. In other words, what we mean by that is 
This film had nothing to make me a better person. There was nothing in it that inspired me or taught me something or caused me to want to rise up. So in the secular mindset, they understand that, that kind of language. I happened to cross a forum recently, and it was about anxiety. Now, don't start praying for me because I'm dealing with anxiety. I don't know how I got to that website, but, but there it was. And I was captured by this woman who wrote this on this forum about anxiety. She said, some people in my family were talking about some other people getting married, and it got me thinking how that could never possibly happen to me. I can't see any reason why anyone would ever love me. I'm not very good looking. I'm not very intelligent. I'm not funny. I have no real drive or ambition. I'm not interesting. I'm not kind. Well, I can't show it. I do not have money. I do not have particularly good education. I have no special talents. Well, frankly, I wouldn't want to take her out either, you know. But. <laughs> well, that sounds brutal, doesn't it? I mean, I just, that's not my point. <laughs> she goes on to say, I told, I told you we all fall short. Of the, okay. She goes on to write, seriously, the only unique individual quality I have is a total lack of individual qualities. I'm so unlikable it doesn't seem any big surprise. I've never had any friends or romantic attachments. She writes, does anyone else feel this way? When I look about this forum, it seems that most people have at least one or two good things going for them. And I'm somewhat jealous. One person responded on the forum, you wait for your lonely death. And another person responded to that comment, it's true, and it's what I'm doing too. It's hard to believe that there is somebody that actually feels that way. But you know every person you and I ever meet are of inestimable worth. For one fact alone, they have been stamped with the image of God. And because of that alone, they are of great worth to God. And that's why, why every person you work with, every person you go to school with, every person that drives you nuts... Every person who seems like a lost cause is worthy of our grace extended to them because of the grace that's been extended to us. This gal is enslaved to her own wrong, wrong, warped self-image that's been damaged by the evil one. You can be enslaved to sin, vice, you can be enslaved to a person. You can be a slave to a thought, an ideal, a dream. You can be enslaved to all kinds of things. Every person has been made in the image of God, and we are redeemable, and we become freed from such slavery in our lives. Romans 6 says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness. See, we can be slaves to our goodness. We can be so good and so enslaved to that, we think that, that God owes us. That's what Paul's saying here. Christ came 
so that we could be bought back. That's the win. The price, a blood sacrifice. Verse 25 says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Now, the King James Version, you see that phrase there that says sacrifice of atonement. The King James Version uses propitiation, which is a mouthful. Uh, the translators use this terminology because it's better to get a little better to get your head around. But propitiation is really a better word and more accurate because it captures an idea that's not found in the word atonement. Propitiation means the wrath of God has been diverted off of me onto his son, Jesus Christ. Atonement doesn't carry that idea. So the, the King James translators have it right there. It's only found two, that word, propitiation, is only found two times in the, in the New Testament. The word atonement, we can more understand, just divide the word at one, atone. It means being, we have been reconciled back to God through this blood sacrifice. Easy to remember the meaning of it that way. You remember uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? What a great movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Indiana Jones and the Ark of the Covenant, you know, they were, and it was a pretty good depiction of the ark, this box that God had his people make, make. And remember, in the box were three things, a bowl of manna, Aaron's budding rod, and a copy of the Ten, or, and the Ten Commandments. And they carried it everywhere they went. It was, an, it was a representation of God's presence among his people. They carried it throughout their wilderness wanderings and then, you know, in the early part of the history, history of Israel. And then there were these cherubim over the lid of it. It was covered in gold. And then the lid itself was called the mercy seat. And once a year on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the high priest would take a hyssop branch and dip it in the blood of, a, of an unblemished lamb and carry that, that branch into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood on the lid of that Ark of the Covenant, the, 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 the mercy seat. Jesus Christ, and that, that blood, of course, covered the sins of the people for one year until the high priest did it again, thus appeasing God by that blood sacrifice. All as a shadow of the true one who would come. John the Baptist looks at Jesus. He's 30 years of age. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is our mercy seat. He is the one whose blood covers our sins day once and for all, sacrifice for sin. God requires a blood sacrifice. This is the great price that was paid for us. This is the, this is the sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice we've been reconciled. Peter writes, Don't, for you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish, or defect. That's grace. You have been favored by God. That's what grace is. And yet, what do we do? We still creep back into this works mentality. Somehow, I've got to do enough to make God love me. Somehow, I've got to earn my way. One man died, went to heaven. The angel said, why should I let you in? It takes a thousand points to get in. He said, well, I was baptized when I was a teenager and always went to church all my life. And, uh, you know, I passed communion church. I greeted people at the door. I, I visited uh, people in the hospital sometimes. I taught, I taught boys in Sunday school. Um, I, you can always find me at church every week. And the angel said, okay, that's one point. What else? 
He said, wow, I was a great businessman. I always lived with integrity. People knew I was a Christian. I brought people to church. I, 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 I married to my wife for over 50 years and, and never lusted after another woman. And I, I raised good Christian kids. And the angel said, okay, it's two points. And the man was so frustrated. He said, at this rate, it's going to take the grace of God. He said, come on in. It's a thousand points. So what it is, friends. Are you comparing yourself with somebody else, your standard? Are you trying to, do you still somehow think that, that God can't love me? How could he love me? He does. And so my position, justified through faith, it's another one of those spiritual jawbreakers. Now, when I was a little boy, my teachers made an error in teaching me that justified meant just as if you've never sinned. That's not what justified is. Justified is a legal term. And it means that we are declared righteous even in our sinning state. We're declared righteous even though we know we struggle with sin even today. I mean, how soon after you were baptized did you note a sin in your life? One man was baptized and the preacher said to him right in the baptistry, don't you feel better? He said, hell yes. You can't get too far, can you? Yeah, that's how it is. Well, I tell you, to be justified means no penalty for you, no condemnation for you, no fear for you about the future, no wrath of God on you. Praise God. Praise God. Romans 1 says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And being justified has two elements to it. The first is assent which is an act of the mind, which is saying, we believe that these things are true. I believe these things are true. What the Bible teaches, all about God, about Christ. I believe that these things are true about me, about my sin. I believe that, that it's a mental assertion. I, I, I assent. Uh, it's an act of the, the, of the mind. The second element is trust, which is an act of the will. Not only do I believe that certain things are true, that's our doctrine, we also believe in Jesus Christ, our only hope. Assent and trust are woven together. Our faith is a reasonable faith. That is, it is, it is an intelligent faith. Is an intellectual faith. But is an intellect, and we use our intellect, an intellect, and we build on the evidence of the person of Jesus and who he is. Diana and I have been to the Holy Land a couple times. Some of you have been to the Holy Land and probably been to Bethlehem to visit the Church of the Nativity. And the Church of the Nativity is one of the oldest churches in existence. It was built in 326 AD by Helen, the mother of Constantine. She was shown the traditional site of the birth of Jesus, and she wanted to build a church over that site. And so for a long time, there was a doorway there that people would go through to visit that site, and uh, even Christian crusaders would arrive on their horses and never get off their horses, but go right into the basilica, and people hated that. And so if you visit there today, you enter through a door that's four feet high and two feet wide because you have to get off your high horse to go in there. It's called the door of humility. You have to bow down. Does that describe your life today? That you are living a bowed down life before this one 
whose target you continually miss and whose grace is enough to welcome you to himself. What a Savior. What grace. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this best of news that changes us from the inside out. And I pray, Father, that our performance, that our our works, our efforts, our service, our sacrifice will be exactly that because we have been so loved by you, not to get you to love us. I pray, Father, for anyone in this room today that may feel worthless and hopeless, those who are stuck in sin, those who may feel they are irredeemable, those who feel far off, I brought today, I pray today, will be brought a little closer and will know how much you love them. Thank you for the splendor of who you are, how we need you today, and how we're thankful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle Paul says when we're baptized, we are washed We are sanctified, that means set apart for him, and we are justified, declared righteous, even though we still struggle with sin. What a God. If you have not been immersed into Jesus Christ, you need to take care of that to give glory to God. And out of response to this blood that's been poured out, let's stand and worship him.